Our text for this morning is found in the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 33 and verse 3. Today marks the eighth day of our 40 days of prayer. I hope you are committed to seeking the Lord for us in all these various elements of prayer, adoration or praise, worship, confession of sin, expressions of thanks and gratitude to God for all he's done for us, and then supplication, asking God to meet our needs and the needs of others. Uh, And during this 40 days of prayer, we are also, all the pastors of the church here, we are doing uh, a series that we've titled simply Essentials. And these essentials are focusing on what really matters to the church according to Scripture. If you could take a verbal picture of what the church should look like, we're hoping to some extent this short series of messages will will be that picture. Uh, I have been given the assignment next week of preaching on a worshiping church and today to bring a sermon uh, on a praying church. And I'd like to read for you Jeremiah 33, verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. It's a simple sentence. God himself is speaking to the prophet Jeremiah, who at this particular moment in his ministry is not enjoying much spiritual fruitfulness. Not only that, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, as he is sometimes called, is actually languishing in prison. And God comes to Jeremiah, not necessarily with comforting words, first of all, but with a command to pray. Call to me. It's a command. And then he gives a promise and I will answer you. What simple things those two realities are when it comes to prayer. We are to be a praying people, it's commanded of us, and we are to be assured that God is committed to hearing us and answering our prayers, and to do so in a way of great abundance. For the verse finishes... Uh, by saying, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. And that's how we will fashion our thoughts as we work through this study this morning. I want to begin with a quotation from one of the godly Puritans, John Bunyan. Uh, John Bunyan was the man who wrote the Allegory Pilgrim's Progress Listen to what he says about prayer. It is rather clever. He says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. In other words, we can attempt all sorts of things for God, acts of obedience, acts of worship, and acts of service. But if those things are not saturated in prayer, depending upon God for his grace and power, what we attempt from God will come to nothing. Without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. And so it is crucial that we are a people who call upon the Lord 
in anticipation that he will answer us if we are to be a praying people. So I hope that we will take this sermon most seriously and that we will be moved by the Holy Spirit himself to be a Christ-exalting, praising, and, and praying congregation of believers. Let's begin with the first truth that is seen in Jeremiah 33, verse 3. We are to call upon the Lord. God commands us to be a praying people. What that means in practical terms is that prayer is not an optional extra. It is not a spiritual discipline that is reserved for the spiritually elite. It is not a strong recommendation that we have the option of taking it or leaving it. When it comes to praying, it is an utter necessity for every believing person in Jesus, and it is an utter necessity for every church. It is an imperative. We must pray. We are commanded to pray. To really drive that point home, let's consider four verses of Scripture briefly. The first is Colossians 4 verse 2, which simply says, be devoted to prayer. All of us know what it is like to be devoted to something or to someone. To be devoted to prayer means to give plenty of time to it. It is to make it a priority in your life. It is to sacrifice for it. This thought is communicated in another verse very effectively, Romans chapter 12, verse 12, where we read, be faithful in prayer. It's sometimes translated, be steadfast in prayer. We're to be devoted to it. We're to give plenty of time to it. We're to sacrifice for it. And here's why. When we obey the command to pray, we are committing an act of faithfulness. And the reverse is true. Uh, prayerlessness is disobedience, and it is being unfaithful to God. The third verse is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, where the NIV reads, pray continually. Other versions read, pray without ceasing. Now that verse can be somewhat confusing if it's your first time reading it. You can be sure that the verse is not saying to us that we are to pray words of prayer to God nonstop 24-7. Jesus didn't even do that. And yet the scriptures say he often withdrew to lonely places to pray. But Jesus also slept. And we in our humanity and even Christ in his humanity was not able to keep prayer going around the clock. No, it doesn't mean that. What it means in practical terms is that we are habitual in prayer, not haphazard. We are always at the ready to pray to God. Our default mental state is, oh God, or our default mental state is heavenly Father, and we immediately go to him in prayer. Listen to how David Matthias describes this activity. 
These texts charge us not to stay all day in the closet, but to carry a posture of prayer in the soul as we give ourselves fully to our daily tasks and engagements. And that in a moment, we are ready to go consciously Godward in the car, waiting in line, as we walk before a meal, in the midst of a difficulty, difficult conversation, and in all and in everything else. So we are to practice scheduled times of prayer where we meet with God day by day. But there are those spontaneous moments each day and throughout the day where we intentionally go Godward and we talk to our Heavenly Father. Even in the midst of our work, in the midst of our conversations, there can be that silent praying, maybe with broken sentences even. But we go Godward and we want Him to hear our concerns and our need and our praise. And the last verse out of the four is our text, Colossians, uh, 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 Jeremiah chapter 33 and verse 3, where the Lord tells Jeremiah, call to me. And beloved, the me is the living God. The God who is committed to us as Savior and Redeemer and Lord. The God who is always for us in grace until we arrive in glory. And he simply says, call to me. Now there are at least two ways we can obey the command to be devoted to prayer, to be faithful in prayer and steadfast in it. To frequently throughout the day go Godward. And one way is that we are to pray Scripture. Remember, Scripture, the Bible, is the Word of God. It is literally God talking to us. And all that we need to know about life and godliness is found in the sacred volume. And we are to listen to God as we read. We are to hear the truth of God. And as we meditate on it and think about it, we turn that word back to God. And we pray back to Him and talk to Him about what He's teaching us. For example, you may read Psalm 86 verse 11 that says, Teach me your ways, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I might fear your name. And you go back to God and you say, Oh God, I must live in the fear of the Lord. I must honor and reverence you in my life. Please teach me all that I need to know. And so work in grace in me that you give me a united heart, a single heart, not a double heart that loves God and the world. Increasingly grow me in grace to fear the Lord. Or... You may read the Beatitude that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And you go back to God and you say, Oh God, forgive the fact that all too often I am satisfied by the things of this world other than you. Create in me by your grace and by your Holy Spirit a craving for you and a craving, a hunger, and a thirst to live in righteousness before you. 
Just this morning, I was reading in the first chapter of John, I got toward the end there, where one of his new disciples named Andrew spent a whole day with Jesus. And he became convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. And the very next verse says it literally like this. Then Andrew went to his brother Peter. He's called Simon in that verse. And he told Peter that we have found the Messiah. And you read a verse like that, and you go back to God and say, oh God, let me be someone who is so excited about Jesus that I want to tell other people about him. I'm just trying to model what it means to turn the truth of God back to God as you pray over what he said to you. There's a second way, and it is this. Pray every time the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray. There will be those times throughout the day when you will get an, a nudge from the Holy Spirit, a, a spiritual urging, if you will, to pray about a certain situation. Keep in mind, the Holy Spirit will never prompt you to play, pray for something that isn't biblical. You will never have to compromise Scripture or add to it. But the Holy Spirit will so personalize things that when he urges us or nudges us, we should pray about the impressions that he has placed on our hearts. A number of years ago, I read a wonderful book by Martin Lloyd-Jones, a book that was uniquely addressed to preachers. And in a chapter on the Holy Spirit and prayer, Lloyd-Jones is describing the minister in his study his diligent hard work to get at the meaning of the text, to form his thoughts and his applications. But Martin Lloyd-Jones hastened to add this, saying to the minister, when you are deep in study, be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to stop your study and engage God in most fervent prayer for your sermon and for your people and for your life that you will live the text you are studying. And I am saying to you, the Holy Spirit doesn't do this sort of thing infrequently. If we are to pray throughout the day, pray without ceasing, we should be sensitive to how he's guiding us in various situations to pray. So this first point, call to me, means we're to be devoted to prayer. We're to be faithful in prayer, steadfast to call upon our God to engage in set times of prayer that appear on our schedules, but also to pray under the leading of the sovereign Holy Spirit. Now that brings us to the, the second obvious truth about prayer. God answers our prayers. He promises to answer our prayers. And there's a number of different ways he validates his promise to answer when we call upon him in scripture. And one way is his character. We know that God is revealed in scripture to be one who is almighty. He is omnipotent. Uh, his power never diminishes. And when you think about prayer and the almightiness of God, you must confess that he is willing, excuse me, that he is able, he's able to answer our prayers. 
Then the second truth about him is his grace, his mercy, his love, all expressed in his faithfulness. God can be utterly relied upon. No one ever trusted God in vain. There's not a single second that exists when God proves unfaithful. So if his power says to us that he is able to answer our prayers, his faithfulness says to us that he is willing to answer our prayers. And then we recall to mind that God is wise. He hears our petitions, and he is always able to translate our petitions and to mold our petitions so that when he does answer, he gives us exactly what we need. So it is all about his character. He's able, he's willing, and he is wise. The Lord's Prayer assures us that God Almighty and wise and faithful answers our prayer. Do you remember Jesus gives to his disciples this prayer? You are to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation uh, and deliver us from evil and the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Jesus wants us as a matter of priority to pray along those lines, that we pray for the honor and glory of the nature and name of God, that we worship him, that we pray that his wonderful gospel of the kingdom will spread rapidly and be honored, and that people would allow the kingdom of God to come into them and have Jesus rule over them. That we are to do the will of God with the swiftness and joy with which the angels do it in heaven. That we are to pray for provision, those nitty-gritty everyday needs of life. Give us our daily bread. And for pardon too. Lord, forgive us our daily sins and rescue us from grudge holding so that we can be a forgiving people. And God... Give us protection from the evil one and lead us away from temptation and down the path of righteousness for your name's sake. That's just a summary of those prayers to magnify the point that those are serious petitions that ought to shape our lives. But the main point of the text is that Jesus says that if we pray this prayer, we will receive great reward from our Father in heaven. That's his promise to answer our prayers. There's another prayer, how Paul prays. Listen to his prayer for the Ephesian, for the Thessalonian church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. 
Here's what Paul prayed for, that that God's people will love each other with the kind of love that is always increasing in the intensity of the love to the point that it even overflows. There is so much love there. And then he prays that we would become increasingly blameless and holy as we await the future return of Jesus. The point I'm making is when we pray serious petitions like that, Paul prayed those prayers because he believed God would answer them. He trusted God to bestow upon his church more intense love and more seriousness in the pursuit of holiness. There's one last reason why we can count on God answering our prayers. It comes from the lips of Jesus. In John 14, Verse 13, we read, And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Almost all of us tack on to the end of our praying in Jesus' name. It has biblical warrant in this passage. Whatever you ask in my name, I'll give you. I'll answer. You will receive. Now, all of us know that when Jesus says whatever, that whatever is governed by in my name. At no point does Jesus invite us to use his name to ask for greedy, worldly, materialistic things. In my name means consistent with who I am. If I answer the prayer, you'll be able to say, that's a Jesus-like answer. Our asking is governed by the integrity and the holiness and value of his name. And he says when he does answer, the Father will be glorified. Did you see that phrase? The Father will be glorified. Now listen to John 16. In that day you will no longer ask me anything, Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be made complete. Use my name. Ask for what will bring honor to my Father. Ask for what is consistent with what I would ask for. And when you do, the joy will be yours. Did you hear it? When we pray in Jesus' name and God answers, God gets the glory. And when we pray in Jesus' name and God answers, we get the joy. And the point that Jesus makes is when you do that, I will answer you. Do we really believe that? that we are to give sufficient time to praying, to be devoted to it, believing that our God will hear. And in His own wisdom and grace, He will will provide for His praying children. And that brings us to the last truth. God will keep us praying. How does the verse teach this? Well, let's read Jeremiah 33, 3 again. Call to me, and I will answer you. We've talked about those two. And tell you great 
and unsearchable things you do not know? My answer is going to be profound. As you pray and are devoted to it over a long stretch of time, you will experience the wonder of things you never knew that He is able and ready to teach us. God keeps us praying by the wonder and the amazement of His answers. I want to drive this point home by telling you a story. It is about George Mueller. George Mueller was a godly minister, pastored the same church for 60 years. And he was uh, known to be a man of humble, persistent prayer. And the thing he was most known for was back in his day in Bristol, England, he ran a lot of orphanages because the orphan issue in those days was severe. Well, George Mueller became a believer when he was very, very young. And he had two friends who refused to become believers. And even as a young person, he started to pray for his friends. And through the years, he kept notes on what the Lord had led him to pray about concerning his friends. And he prayed for them for 60 years. Finally, one month before he died, as he was preaching his last sermon, one of those men accepted Christ. Then one full month after his funeral, the other came to faith in Jesus. And on one occasion, while they were still in their unconverted state, someone asked Mueller, why have you prayed so long when there's been a constant rejection to the gospel? And George Mueller answered, do you think God would have kept me praying all these years if he did not intend to save them? Did you hear the phrase? He kept me praying because the answer when it comes will be glorious. And so we are to seek the Lord while he may be found, to call upon him while he is near. And every day of your life he's near. In all of his power, in all of his faithfulness, in all of his wisdom. We are to keep on praying. Devoted to it. I close by asking all of us a simple question as individuals and a church. What great thing are things, amazing things, things that might be unthinkable to you right now, to use the biblical word, has God laid on your heart to pray for? For our church, for your life, for your kids, for our missionaries. Great things He has taught us. Great things He has done. And great our rejoicing when the Lord returns. But today is the day of asking that he would do in the words of Ephesians exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or imagine. In Jesus' name for his glory and our joy. Let us pray together. Let's pray. 
Uh, this is the eighth day of our 40 days of prayer. And during these days, the element that's being stressed in our reading and praying will be emphasized in the pastor's prayer on Sunday. And today it is worship, praising God, adoring Him. Our Father in heaven, our glorious Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit, we come before you because you only, in your infinite beauty and majesty and in your mysterious triune existence, you deserve our worship. And we speak back to you what you have revealed of yourself in Holy Scripture. Our Father in heaven, we pray. We praise you for your sovereignty. That no one can stay your hand, as the word says. That you rule in the highest of places over this vast universe. Your sovereign reign, your supreme rule is never in question. In the very best of times for your church and in the very worst of times, you are the Lord God Almighty who reigns forever. And we praise you for your holiness, that you are the king who delights his people. You are absolutely pure, and there is no moral, not even the smallest dot of moral failure in you. you, you, you your essence is, is clear and beautiful and sinless and glorious. And you have every right to judge us. If you're ever fair with us, we get your eternal justice, but you have loved us in Jesus. You have taken your son and you have given him on the cross to bear the burden of our iniquity, to take our sin as our substitute upon himself and to expend your righteous wrath upon him that we might know the freedom and joy of grace. Thank you that you have mercy on us. Thank you for your abundant goodness. Thank you for your tender mercies, for your great faithfulness. Lord, thank you that you can be eternally trusted. As the psalmist says, your faithfulness reaches to the heavens. And another says, your faithfulness surrounds you so that nothing on the outside of your divine beauty can penetrate into your essence and make you prove for even a second to be unfaithful to us. You are eternally reliable. And on and on our praise can go for your almightiness, your constant presence with your people, your total knowledge over us so that we have no secrets. And yet you knowing even the worst about us, you say in your word, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. How you remain devoted to your people this side of heaven is so wonderful. Help us to be a people who love you, who live for you, and who worship you and serve you. Make us such people in Jesus' name. Amen.